Good evening, everyone. Well, first, I'd like to welcome everyone tonight to this wonderful, wonderful event. I am beyond excited right now uh, that you're all here. This has been a dream that I've had for a very, very long time to be able to put together this event. And I am I'm extremely humbled, extremely grateful for my partners who at the last minute, you know, I called and said, would you support me in putting this event together? So um, I, wanna, I wanna thank them for being here today with me supporting this. Um, first of all, my name is Natalie Vicencio. For those of you that don't know me, I am a longtime resident of Western Massachusetts. I have lived here for over 25 years. Um, I'm originally from Ecuador, South America, and um, I've had very, very interesting experiences in this country. I want to also acknowledge that uh, one of my most beloved mentors is here tonight as well, John Fisher. He's sitting in the back over there. Wonderful, wonderful guy. Yeah, so fair housing. I want to be able to also thank Jason Montgomery from East Hampton, founder of Attack Bear Press, leader of the No-No Project, which we collaborated on as well, another poetry. Uh, project really beautiful. Please look him up. Uh, I want to also thank specifically Maurice Taylor over there, cameraman. He is a wonderful human being. I met him when I was 21 years old in college, and I have seen Maurice work tirelessly for these communities. Um, he ha is one of the only people, I dare say, that has not strayed from his mission and from his passion. In, in his path, in his uh, search for equity, right, and justice. Um, and I admire him so for that, and I'm so honored that he's here tonight, giving us support, making himself present. He's another, another mentor that I admire um, in this path. Love you, Mo. Also, I'd like to acknowledge and thank our very dear friend, Johan Rashi Vega, right there. He is such, such a wonderful member of our community. He, um, completely took on Holyoke um, as a storm with his podcast, Radio Plasma, um, a pioneer in reality, as we were very much in desperate need of having some real, real uh, quality uh, media for the community. Welcome, Marie Claire. We were waiting for you. Welcome. And, oh my God, this is like totally turning out to be like heroes night. What? Yes. What? Marie Claire Hiron Tonsmeyer, she's like my hero right here. Yes, Such an amazing warrior of a woman. Like, you have no idea. Such an inspiration to me and my family and to people in Holyoke and beyond. You honor us with your presence tonight, Marie Claire. Thank you so much for coming. Um, also, I'd like to acknowledge Joanna Brown, who's here tonight as well joining us. Another loving mentor that I admire. Okay, so I wanna quickly tell you why I did this and why I gathered all these crazy folks with me, right? So I am actually a civil rights uh, advocate. I have worked for the last 16 years of my life in um, fair housing, specifically. I started with the Massachusetts Fair Housing Center then uh, did some work with the MCAD, the Mass Commission Against Discrimination. Then I did some work with Wayfinders. And finally, I co-direct South Coast Fair Housing, which two of my coworkers are also here from Rhode Island. Round of applause to Miguel and Carmen in the back. 
And Dr. King, to me, has been one of my greatest inspirations in this country, in my life in general, his message, his, uh, his legacy, his passion, his, you know, everything that he's done um, to, to try to make this country a better place for everyone. So I want to read a few of his words. These, is anyone here familiar with the uh, speech he did, uh, his final speech, I've been to the mountaintop? So I'm going to read a very small part of it for you because I think it resonates with what's happening in our country right now and with tonight. Strangely enough, I would turn to the Almighty and say, if you allow me to live just a few years in the second half of the 20th century, I will be happy. Now that's a strange statement to make because the world is all messed up. The nation is sick. Trouble is in the land, confusion all around. That's a strange statement, but I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. And I see God working in this period of the 20th century in a way that men, in some strange way, are responding. Something is happening in our world. The masses of people are rising up. And wherever they are assembled today, whether they are in Johannesburg, South Africa, Nairobi, Kenya, Accra, Ghana, New York City, Atlanta, Georgia, Jackson, Mississippi, or Memphis, Tennessee, the cry is always the same. We want to be free. So those were some of the words that he said in his last speech, I've been to the mountaintop, a few days prior to his assassination. And I think they resonate tremendously with what's happening in our nation right now. Um, I think we have to think about what his original message was um, of unity and of fighting together for what's just and what's fair. When I announced this event, I actually announced it on April 4th, 2018. The reason I did that is because that was his anniversary of the assassination. That was the day in which he was taken from us. I purposely gave people seven days to write their pieces. Some people were complaining, like, why? Like, didn't you give me more time? I wanted to pressure you because it took seven days for the Congress and for President Johnson to sign the Fair Housing Act into law today. Today is the 50th anniversary of the Fair Housing Act. So I wanted to hold the event today to mark that exactly today, it's when Johnson signed it into law after Congress approved it the night before, and it took these men seven days after a struggle of years of Dr. King and the community behind him rallying to pass this bill of the Fair Housing Act, which made it illegal to discriminate on the basis of race, color, national origin, familial status, disability, religion, gender, in the, in the country, in the United States, in any kind of transaction that had to do with real estate. So that includes rental, lending, and home buying, insurance as well. Anything else I should add, Dr. John Fisher over there that I might have forgotten? He's my fair housing guru here, so. Okay, so this is why, this is why we are having this event today. This is why those of you that notice that everything is about fair housing today is because today is the 50th anniversary of the Fair Housing Act. Thank you so much. I hope you have a lovely night. I'm so excited. I'm so humbled and blessed that you're here. Um, I wanna do a huge shout out to Fernandez Restaurant because they so graciously donated, they so graciously donated the food tonight for us to have. And the library, the South Hudley Public Library, um, for donating the space as well for us to be here and gather.
Thank you. So we're going to go ahead and get started with um, the presentation. All right. Hello, everyone. How are you today? Everyone is great. Let me to start with my poem. It's in Spanish. Hopefully, you enjoy. ¿Qué podría yo deciros? Y me preguntan a mí, ¿qué puede ser justo para poder vivir? Y me preguntan a mí, ¿qué puede ser honorable para poder vivir? ¿Y qué podría yo deciros? Cuando la verdad, lo justo se me pierde al caminar entre mansiones y lujosas casas y castillos creadas de mármol y granito, ¿Qué podría yo deciros si al terminar de caminar las imponentes avenidas cruzo el puente que divide la ciudad galante y glamurosa con la otra parte que yo mismo llamo la ciudad suicida? Allí donde se acaban las mansiones, donde no existen casas ni castillos, es simplemente otra forma extraña de la vida. Tugurios levantados contra el viento con palos y cartón. Techos de esperanza recubiertos con latas recicladas y grandes orificios por donde entra el sol. ¿Y qué podría yo deciros cuando la diferencia es tan grande al momento de buscar las igualdades? Si mi color es un impedimento y el acento es otro más, al intentar vivir con un poco más de dignidad? ¿Qué podría yo deciros cuando las puertas se cierran y al momento de tocarlas son las caras duras las que veo y me entristecen más el alma? Y me preguntan a mí, ¿qué es vivir justa y dignamente cuando por mis diferencias estas son un motivo por el que se me niega alcanzar mis metas y también mis ideales? ¿Qué podría yo deciros, amados míos, cuando ese puente cada día se hace más largo y ancho y tedioso al momento de buscar vivienda y nos toca acomodarnos en ese rincón donde solo cabe la tristeza? ¿Qué podría yo deciros? Si cuando estoy de regreso al punto crucial de los encuentros, me doy perfecta cuenta de que nada es justo para poder vivir, que existe un inmenso puente que divide nuestras posibilidades y que la mejor manera de alcanzar un mundo más justo y digno para todos es luchando por una igualdad de oportunidades y derechos. ¿Qué podría yo deciros cuando ese puente se hace tan fuerte que lo único que derribarlo puede es juntarnos todos en una masa ardiente y crear, como lo soñamos muchos, un mundo más justo y digno para todos? Muchas gracias, Rubén. Thank you so much, Rubén, for delivering such a passionate poem. Okay, 
Do we have our next poet, uh, Nicole Young? Um, so I um, want to give a special thank you to Natalie and Jason for having me a part of this evening. Thank you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, so how, house, not now. New piece, so if I butcher it, I'm sorry. <laughs> the womb, the church, the streets, our schools, our backyards, my neighborhood. Where is my home? Despite my socioeconomic status, education, white collar job, even my Anglophile name, my black skin, and tightly coiled crown still deem me an undesirable candidate for a rental unit here in the Happy Valley. Several pay stubs, employment verification, over 10 years at the same employer, multiple credit checks, and enough money to move tomorrow, it still remains a challenge to get approved for an apartment in this area or anywhere, actually. Rewind just five years ago. Similar outcome, different location, unfortunate circumstances. Detroit, Michigan, 2013. My parents have been paying on the mortgage of their first home since 1996. I'm not quite clear on what happened. My parents weren't either. But after paying on a mortgage for over 16 years, the clock on the loan started back at zero, like they've never paid a dime nor time towards home ownership. Detroit, Michigan, 1967. The start of white flight to the newly created suburbs. Families abandoning homes in well-developed racially and um, well-developed racially and income-mixed neighborhoods due to race riots. Many of these caused by direct hatred from those who had the ability and mobility to move. Now, most of these homes stand vacant, falling apart, losing value, drawing nothing but crime its way as there is no other source of income keeping those left behind afloat. 1968 to 2018, 50 years later, not much has changed except for some law that people have chosen not to follow that is now in place. If you're the wrong shade of brown like me, I beg to differ in understanding how the Fair Housing Act protects me. March 2018, Western Massachusetts, same apartment, different circumstances. A recently arrived family with zero rental history or employment history in this country got approved for the very same unit I applied for and was denied. Why though? They come from the right side of the Asian continent, to no fault of their own, media's taught us that there are those of us who reside along the margins that are better than one another. No policies will protect any racially, ethnically, or income relegated individuals of direct American descent from housing discrimination. Many of these policies remain vague and beyond comprehensible in order to protect the lenders and landlords, not the consumers as originally intended. Even my multi-levels of education didn't prepare me to understand any of these laws. Though sad, yet seemingly predictable, I stand here today on April 11, 2018, exactly 50, days, 50 years to the day after the stroke of President Johnson's pen, still worried and afraid that me and my brother, who's on the autism spectrum, will be homeless because someone refused to look beyond their own biases to screen me as an equitable applicant. Time does not heal all wounds. 
I've chosen to deny the timeline because nothing has changed except my age. No matter how hard I work to provide a better life for myself, others will continue to see me as the undesirable. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Nicole. Wow, what a piece. Thank you. So much passion there. Okay, the next poet we are going to be inviting up to the podium. Her name is Jamila Ali Alexander. Welcome her. Thank you. It's really an honor to be here and this wonderful group and the opportunity to write a poem. Thank you. Um, it's called The Painful History Lesson. Sadly, I was a typical ignorant white person. I thought most things were fair, that people get ahead if they work hard enough. So folks that don't get ahead maybe are just less motivated. I thought the history of slavery was past, and it couldn't last, as the Constitution says all men are created equal. Hmm. I thought eventually this guarantee will set all of us free. But how wrong I was. As now we know the Constitution is fake news, except the Second Amendment and guns they need for their evil deeds. To them, equal means nothing and survival of the fittest, their motto, is no joke. As this melting pot of a country is gonna turn from angel food cake into chocolate, their greatest fear, fear of a black planet. No matter what they do, whites will soon be a minority in the US. Still, it was convenient for me to believe that everyone has a fair chance, and though I know, knew it doesn't always happen, I thought it wouldn't happen government-sponsored, as they have the Constitution to uphold. I never knew how bad that lie actually was until recently. Thanks to God, reading enlightened me. You see, I knew my father benefited from the GI Bill of 1944. I knew he was able to get his degrees for free. I knew he got our nice house in suburbia with a guaranteed mortgage that gave him and millions like him, a huge leg up. And it turned out that leg up was like a dog urinating on others, marking territory like a bully. As I had no idea that Jim Crow laws kept the one million African Americans who served in World War II from fulfilling that same promise of you served your country, now it will serve you. No. What it really meant was you served your country, now we will lynch you if you even think of moving into white neighborhoods where the good schools are and the white picket fence because your black picket fence isn't welcome here. Of the first 69,000 GI Bill mortgages granted, only 100 went to people of color. Hmm, this is true fake news. White people are smarter? No. The free education my dad received had no requirement of equal access. Only the few historically black colleges allowed admission. Thus, over 80,000 black veterans who applied for college were turned away. 
So, the GI Bill was essentially government-sponsored affirmative action for white people, and the entire white families, including myself, benefit to this day on the necks of people of color. Where would we be now if those benefits had been equally applied? Living happily side by side, sharing barbecues, accepting both cultures with deep appreciation, laughing at jokes that come from knowing each other, not fearing each other. On an equal playing field with true equal access, each person would be able to meet their potential based on talent and abilities, not skin color, gender, or class. Maybe it isn't too late. Reparations could be a new GI Bill for those returning from the race wars, the drug wars, the prison camps known as Department of Corrections. African Americans must have affirmative actions like free mortgages and education so that benefits are spread like icing on the cake, the marble cake, which we all want to have and eat also together in peace setting for the whole world a worthy example of fairness and justice, not just us, so that the end of internal and external, macro and micro, exploitation and imperialism may result. And wouldn't that make our America truly great? Thank you. that the two books that really helped me, one was called Waking Up White and Finding Myself in the Story of Race by Debbie Irving, I highly recommend, and also Deep Denial by David Billings. Both of them talk about the fair housing and what happened in the past that set all this going. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Yamila. That was incredible. So much history there, huh? How many of you did, how many of you knew that? Or oh, heard about that stuff? Right? Yeah, time to learn. Time to learn, people. We gotta wake up. Okay, the next poet, Taliani Alexander. I'd like to take this time to thank everyone here tonight, all the po poets, congratulations. I can't wait to uh, uh, finish listening to uh, the rest of you tonight. And I congratulate those that already participated. I am already enjoying your poems. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you, Natalie, everyone. Oh, God, it's so cold. My jacket is ripped, torn from its decay, at least it keeps me warm. It makes me feel okay. Day after day, I search in a newspaper that is left on a park bench, thirsty to find what I can quench, looking for a place to call it my home, where I could go. Where can I go? I'm all alone. I work at a job that, that doesn't pay much. I go to school without packing a lunch. If only I had a home that I would, that would be so cool. It would be full of clean linens and curtains made of wool. 
I applied and applied, and, and I didn't know why. I, I was feeling afraid. I thought I would die. I finally found a man who said, I have a home for sale and an apartment for rent. I was so happy as ever can be. He said, he said, fill out this application and, and, and let me see. I waited and, and waited, no sign in sight. I called him to, to see what he would decide. He never called back and I wondered why. So I walked 10 miles till I arrived. And there he was, showing the place to someone else from a clear race. He looked at me and, and turned his face as if I to him was a disgrace, turned down by the owner who went inside. He gave the apartment to the guy outside. He was white. I was not. Seems he had a better paying job. I did not. He had all his limbs. I only had two. Right away I knew I was through. When he came outside, he said with a frown how he was so smart and I was a clown. Too bad, too bad you, you know, you didn't qualify due to your race. Why don't you go back to your broken old ghetto place? Hey, mister, wait a minute. Hey, mister, that's okay. Enjoy your new home. I'm happy for you, but you still need to grow. It's a shame you continue to think this way. Did you forget your mind is where your heart is today? But I will never give up on people like you. One day we will sit together eating porridge or stew. Though I believe I am not a mistake because home is where my heart is every day. Thank you. Aliani Alexander, thank you so much. Seven days. All right, next person, next poet of the night. It's Adam, Adam Grabowski. Again, I want to thank um, Natalie for having this. Um, Martin Luther King has always been a huge um, heart for me, and I can still remember in kindergarten when. Um, I was a substitute teacher basically said to us right before Martin Luther King Day, this was a guy who didn't fight with his arms or his legs. He was a great fighter for the country. He just uh, fought with the truth and that stuck with me for some reason. His name is Kishan and he is not a metaphor. 
He was nine years old, and I sat with him for five days, one hour a day, and kept him from using his times table chart. And then we played basketball. And he is not Birmingham, Alabama. He is not temporary housing. He is not his impossible teeth. And he is not the rule I broke by taking his picture. We just worked on fifth grade math and played basketball and then the interstate home. After just five days, he said, I love you. The only other person I know who does that is me. Thank you, Aran. Thank you. That was so touching. Very touching poem. Okay, is the next person now Elizabeth McDuffie, based on our little PowerPoint? Yes. Wonderful. Welcome, Elizabeth McDuffie, to the podium. There's a little typo there. It's um, how to avoid renting to single mothers with small children. So just if you are confused, um, by being a single mom, you get to fall into a group that's often discriminated against, too. Even if you are lily white, like I am, it happens. I'm going to preface my poem, which is very short, and I chose um, about the whitest poetic form I could, Shakespearean sonnet. <laughs> so uh, briefly, this is a quote from our Massachusetts rental laws. The lead law requires a removal or covering of lead paint hazards in homes built before 1978 where any children under six live. Lead paint hazards include loose lead paint and lead paint on windows and other surfaces accessible to children. Owners are responsible with complying with the law. My addendum. Many landlords use this as a loophole. How to avoid renting to single mothers with small children. A sonnet. So, you'd like to reside in my property. I'm typically loath to rent to students. But seeing as you're doing a PhD, slutting you might prove to be prudent. Will it be just the three of you? One adult for each room? You say you have your daughters, too. They're older children, I assume? What's that, you say? The youngest girl is four? Then for her, this place would be unsafe. Allow me to walk you to the door. This building is too old for such a little waif. You must find another place instead. For here, the paint is full of lead. And that is it. <laughs> Thank you, Elizabeth. Your poem resonated so much with me, because I'm a mother. And I was actually discriminated against in Holyoke when my son was six months old because of lead paint. Yes. Yes. Okay, who's our next poet? Michael Medeiros. Welcome to the podium, please. Hi. I got to say a big thank you for translating that. It's so dope. Um, I grew up in this New Bedford, like about two hours from here. And I describe it to people as kind of like holy oak with ocean instead of canals. And um, I work now at the Emily Dickinson Museum in Amherst, and I've always loved that joint, and I love the poetic history there, and 
But going into a place like that when you grow up, in a place like New Bedford, it's very difficult at times because the culture of that Dickinson place is very upper class and very white and very not like working on the scallop boats in the summertime <laughs> and stuff like that. But at the same time, um, in New Bedford, I had a wonderful library just like this one. And I could get every single one of her poems there. And you know, it's sad that 50 years after that legislation passed that cities and towns aren't as egalitarian as a library. But we got to keep doing what we do. Here's a poem. I ring the bell, the closed door. Sunshine on the door. Outside the door, summer is growing hotter. This is the longest of days all the year through. Hold on. The door will open. The door is destined to open. We are all to be inside. This sunshine is interminable. This sunshine sheds such light on the door, I can see the dust. I can see the keyhole black amidst the brass. The knob will turn. The no door will open. We will all walk in the summer. The summer is long, and we will all be inside before long. So I just want to step in real quick and just for the rest of the ports, I should have said this earlier. As soon as you get up here, as soon as you start speaking, doesn't matter what it is, your time begins. So don't be given a whole introduction about yourself, where you've been, this and that, because that's part of your time, okay? Except you did great, Michael, because your poem was super short. <laughs> so you're not being penalized here. And my God, New Bedford. Um, one of my offices is there. So, awesome. Okay, next poet is Alvilda Sofia Anaya Alegría. I love saying her name, so I always take my time pronouncing every single syllable. That's one of the perks of speaking Spanish. I'm gonna, since my poem is small, I'm going to say that I made it up. <laughs> Actually, it changed my birth name. They lied. Those, those people like, live like savages, don't you know? They have no morals. They sleep all together. You rent to one and suddenly there are 10. Don't you know they don't have any morals? They don't have their own bedrooms. They sleep everywhere. They have no privacy. They all sleep like pigs, by the way. Let them sleep in the ghetto, in the streets, near the garbage. That is where they belong. They died. Did you hear that? They died. There is no place to sleep because of the lie. So we slept together in one little corner, in one house, because the ones who had morals knew enough not to leave us out in the cold. Day or night, 
sun or shine to die. Thank you. Thank you, Alvelda. Okay, everyone. Process, process. Okay, next poet. Our dear Marie Claire Hiron Tonsmeyer. Good night, everyone. Thank you for having me tonight. Um, like everyone else, we were rushing around to get something together for tonight. I'm happy to be here. Uh, social determinants. Why should I care about that specific term when all I'm trying to say and do is to feed my brood? When am I trying to do is to find a safe roof? I grew up in this place where all I now see is disgrace. I see no other way. I need to open doors and windows for my crew, but where do I find those in this confusing and hopeless place? In a trace. All they talk about are big terms, and my gut is just grumbling like a storm. The storm that is about to come when I tell my landlord that I need a few more days. It has been a long road, a long road for my whole family, generation after generation. Is there another option for this, my whole race? Is, it, is this what we all deserve for having this beautiful skin complexion? Is it because we have let the sun kiss us with affection? No way. No way. I will not let this happen again. Not on my watch. Not with this infinite love for my generation. They knew. They know. I have them. I know. We deserve better and beyond. Yes, we do. We have a better chance. I know. I will help open wide windows and doors for all our generations. No more hiding. No more embarrassing moments. No more grumbling and numbing. We can all join forces against those shouting voices. Thank you. We are so biased for Marie Claire. <laughs> this is why none of us are voting. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next poet. Jesus Rosa. This poem's entitled, Hands of Time. I, I cannot understand how I'm standing here in the hands of time. 
where I watch another African-American fall victim to the hands of a man in blue with the gun and bullets of oppression. This has got to stop. Another mother can't bury her offspring because of social injustice. I thought we'd come far from those days, those days where I was living in prison in my own skin, where a noose was the only thing that connected me to you. But here we are hanging on a tree in 2017 battling a war against my brown skin because my hair calls in the form of an afro. You've taken us back with no bus. There's no giving my seat up because you don't have space. My rights have been stripped away, ripped away, and I was sold for trade. These lashes on my back should serve as smoke signals of me being a voice and not a, another soul with the price tag at your slave auction. Priceless, we have no price. We are in less of because of the lack of our social economics. For we have paved the way and been enslaved. Blood off my hands, sweat off my back, had built this country. If it wasn't for us, the world wouldn't be making any money. Is it daylight savings time? Because this country's clocks have been set back 300 years. We went from having the world's greatest president now to electing a man with the orange face and a temper tantrum of a five-year-old. My rights have been divided by white lines for too long. The pigmentation that reflects off my brothers and sisters' beautiful brown skin should have never served you hand and feet. For we are African-American kings and queens and no one's made. So it's time to escape. So I use my words to free as Harriet Tubman used underground railroads. My poems form words leading the way as I scream, shout, and march. Because like Martin Luther King said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about what matters. All lives matter, yes. But all lives aren't being taken away every single day. Thank you. Wow, gave me chills, huh? Yes, I, I thought personally that poem was like a, like a magnification of everything besides housing discrimination. And housing discrimination is a part of what you're talking about, but yes. Okay, and I think with that, we conclude. Look at us staying on time. So now all of the hosts, uh, I invite you to come together so we can start adding up the points and so that we can reveal who's the grand prize winner. So this, this necklace right here is from Tanzania. And um, it's gonna go to the, uh, the first prize winner. Um, it was made through, it's called Anxarian um, Peace Village, um, where they sell these for people that are making it, and they sent me a box like years ago. So what I do is I give a, one, a necklace or a bracelet to each winner, and uh, just to make the connection, what we're going through here, because I just started giving these out this year, and I've had them for like 10 years, and I think it actually like connects us to there and here. So um, yeah, the winner will get one of these. Um, Community Against Hate in Saran Peace Village. All right, so don't take it. Hi, I'm Jason. Um, I just want to, again, a big round of applause for Natalie. I mean, <laughs> yes. 
Natalie and I and Mary Claire actually all met while working for a housing organization that I got fired from. Um, they made the right, they made the right choice. Um, and I just, uh, the, the poetry that binds all of us together and that brought all of us together and that like connected so many people. Um, the, the beauty of it, the wonder of it, Ruben, Natalie, Mary Claire, it's amazing. I mean, I met Mary Claire's brother through poetry and that's kind of a wonderful thing. Like, and it's just thank you for doing all the work and then like I get to step in and say funny things. That's incredible, so thank you. Thank you, Natalie, thank you guys. All this event has been recorded and is going to be posted at radioplasma.com as a compilation of the important and powerful ways of expression that happened today as a reminder of 50 years and the change that still needs to happen, also as a way to show how the effort of Natalie and all the different members in our community that I see as family, combination of beautiful people from different backgrounds, different countries, different cultures. This is a beautiful way to get together and keep the activism alive through the arts, through the expression, through the beauty and power of words. So that is the reason why this session today is itself a beautiful piece to add to the content on our local podcast, Radio Plasma. So you can listen to these pieces again and share it with everybody because this is a powerful message that we need to keep spreading out. So thank all of you for being here and thank all the poets for their powerful words. I wasn't going to, obviously I wasn't here, I don't have a poem, I was going to sit back and listen, but I just wanted to real quickly say, I, I may be one of the few people here who remembers when Martin Luther King was killed, who remembers, yeah, few, there's a few of us around, right? Uh, but one of the things, for those of you who weren't, I think is so important to remember, if you've ever been to Disney World, you see a China, an Africa that's sort of plastic, that sort of isn't real. When someone becomes a holiday, when they become a symbol, that happens to them. And it's very, very easy to sort of actually forget what this was about and what we hoped actually would be happening 50 years from now, which hasn't happened yet. But what this was about back then, who these people were. And I think something like this is very important because in some ways it keeps people like Martin Luther King, Malcolm, the whole series, all the, all the kids that were killed on the street 50 years ago, not just the kids who were killed on the street this year. It's easy to sometimes forget what it was about and I think something like this is very important, and thank you, all of you, for what you're doing.
So hi, you know me, I'm Elizabeth. I'm founding editor of Meat for Tea, the Valley Review. Um, the mission statement of this publication is to provide publishing opportunities for both emerging and established writers and artists to provide a leg up, so to speak, and yeah, we're equal opportunity publishers. You better believe it. Um, this weekend is East Hampton Book Fest, as you heard. I produced this event, Poetry, Prose, and Pints. I've put together a diverse population of people to read their works at the Abandoned Building Brewery so you can have beer with your poetry and prose, which tends to make it nicer. Another thing Meet for Tea does is I'm deeply involved in the 100,000 poets, artists, and musicians for change events. Those happen globally in over 100 countries all over the world. And I produce the East Hampton parts of those. Those happen every year at the end of September. Um, so there's that. Meet for Tea is currently open for submissions. Hint, hint. So without further ado, I want to thank everyone for your announcements and any information out there. Um, tonight we have, you all have on paper as Phyllis, I know her as Jasmine, a very amazing woman that I've come to know. Um, I just found out that she was alive and living in the area when um, Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. And um, I was like, wow, really? You know, and because uh, she looks so young, you know what I'm saying? You wouldn't even, you wouldn't notice, you know? And um, I'm so excited to be here to just, you know, listen to what she has to say. She's a great speaker. So if you guys can help me, give a warm welcome to uh, Jasmine. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Yes, Maurice, I was there 50 years ago when I was 13, and I was there the day after the riot started. And I'd like to do an experiment. I want to talk about being there, and it's very emotional for me. But I also want anyone out there, or all of you who have questions about what it was like to be there, and to see the riots, the looting, the riots, the smell, the tear gas. Just shout out the questions. Just ask me questions. All of you at the same time. Just say what you want to say. I just want to hear it. Anybody have any questions about them, about that day, about the looting, about the rioting? No one has any questions? OK. I was not hurt. Um, I woke up the next day. Of course, DC was on fire. Yeah, they were burning buildings, they were building, they were burning stores, and there were a lot of stores that had Soul Brother written on them, this business owned by black people. It did not stop a lot of those buildings from being burned. It did turn away some. Okay, I got up that day, and I was living next door to my, well, I was staying at my grandmother's house right on Georgia Avenue, right on 7th Street, that went right down DC, right through the heart of DC. And I said, Grandma, I'm going out. 
And she said, no, you're not, darling. You can't go out. You can't go out there. I said, Grandma, I have to. I have to see what this is. And so I walked out, and a bus came, luckily. I got on the bus, and even where we were, I could smell the tear gas from downtown. The buses were free. My heart was heavy. I was in shock, as I am right now, because I remember sitting on the bus in the window, not being afraid for my life, but being afraid for the people who were in the streets. And this was the aftermath of the first day of looting, but that second day, everyone was still looting and the city was still burning and you could still smell the tear gas. And I just, you know, I think about my household and in our house, there were two M's. There was Martin and there was Malcolm. Secretly, deep down inside, I was in love with Malcolm, for real. But, <laughs> but King, as we called him, Reverend Dr. King, as we called him when we were in another mind frame, Martin Luther King, we called him, we called him MLK, we called him Brother King. We just could not believe that they had assassinated our brother. He was our brother and our uncle and our preacher. And he just felt like he was a solid earth to us. And I sat on that bus and cried so hard. And I looked at my city and I looked at the people in the street and they were wild and everyone was enraged and there was so much pain and there was no joy in the rioting and looting. I didn't see joy on anyone's face. I saw National Guardsmen, I saw police, I saw German shepherds, I saw fire hoses, they were putting out the fires supposedly. I didn't see any of the fire hose violence against people. But I understood then that my city would never be the same. And I was, I just, that's why I want you to ask me questions. You know, it's like, I have a question, go. Because I wasn't here. Go. Uh, I mean, go. I, I was 10 and I lived in Southbridge. So he's assassinated, and that's when the riots begin. Just like that. Okay. Pow. So who's burning the buildings? The white people burning the, the buildings or the black Who's, people burning the buildings? The black people. The black people. Yeah. Okay. They, were, they wanted to destroy downtown. Okay. All the stores at that time were owned by Jewish people. Go ahead, holler it out. I, you know, I think I work hard now to help people understand the political situation from my perspective and how to build sustainable communities and how to educate our children and the importance of unifying. And I think that's all we can do is to never stop fighting that fight. We have to always remember to encourage people to unify and to work together. And that's what, uh, who is he to me now? Is he Dr. King, Martin Luther King, King, Reverend Dr. King? He wanted us to work together 
to build a better country. I'm not going to say United States of America because we know what that means, but he wanted us to live together in peace and harmony. And I think that's all we can do every day is to live that and be a, an example of what that looks like. I don't ever want to see a city burning like that again. I don't want another watch stack. I don't want any more riots. I don't want any more Katrinas. I can't just, just the thought of being on that bus and my eyes watering from the tear gas. It was just shocking to me at 13 to see that. That was the turning point of my life. I just, it, I couldn't believe it, Maurice. Yeah, I just wanted to draw a parallel um, to what we was talking about. Um, it was an interesting question when you asked, was it the white people burning the buildings and the black people burning the buildings? Because some of the, um, doing some of the Black Lives Matters rights, um, in our time this year, people say, well, why are black people burning their own neighborhoods? Because what the news? Is, is that in many of these communities, well, they're not really, they're not really communities, it's where people force live because of all the impoverishment. But many of the buildings and stores are owned by people who don't even live in the community. That's right. And until, you know, some injustice happens and people start burning stuff and looting and rioting, then people are like, oh, they don't care about themselves? But the reality is like so many people are forced to live in improper conditions, right? But people aren't going in and help build up, right? But then when things happen, people are saying, why are they burning their own stuff? And the reality is that so people have themselves, right? Not setting on each other because it's not really close to the community because there's so much poverty, so much mental anguish, and so lack of resources is that we want people to understand that they should work together in the worst conditions in this country. But it's like, how would you respond if you were in that situation, you don't always think about that. But I just wanted to draw some of the parallels that some of the conditions are the same, and it's so many years later that things aren't really changing that much. They haven't changed. They have not. Nope. So. Yeah. Can I just say that I'll draw another parallel, which is not directly to Dr. King, but what's happening in Puerto Rico right now. When, when will there be justice for the people of Puerto Rico? When will they get electricity? When will they have the things that they need? To, to eat, and I'm, I'm just saying, I know this, he fought for everyone. He fought for everyone's rights, and, and I, it just sickens me to see that we, I mean, what can we do? Well, I'm glad you said, what can we do? And because I, I heard you saying, when will they have, when will poor, no, when will we, when will we, all of us, have justice and equality? All of us. It's not they, it's us. When will we do something to change that attitude? What are we going to do? And I think that's the, that's the big question. That was the question then. I never want to see that again. That really hurt my heart. That was my hometown. And of course, destroying downtown opened doors for another group to come in and own the stores. My people still didn't own the stores. It just changed from one group to another. And there we were left with a burned out downtown. Okay. I, just, I wanted to say this. I grew up in LA. Um, Lots of stacks. Yeah. And hearing your story, and then like one of my earliest memories is sitting on the roof of our garage. Watching, watching LA watching burn. Saber, yep. Like, watching, you know, and that idea that there's no joy in it. Nope. Like, um, and I remember like the news showing people and like, and seeing like what the outside world thought 
like how it was presented, that As there was compared. joy in this, that it was like, and it was like, no, this was no like, joy. like a boil erupting. It was, it was just, no one was happy about it. Nope. It's pure yes. Yeah. Yes. Even the dude next door got a, like, got a free TV. Like, he wasn't happy about it. No, they weren't. Yeah, people had things. People were grabbing things, but a lot of people were grabbing survival materials. Basic staples, diapers, formula. Yeah, there were your people who wanted TVs. But like you said, there was no happy. I didn't see anyone happy about it. It was smash and grab and hurry up and get the hell home before you're killed. That's what it was. Yep. You'd see the burned out like building with a with, with writing on it. That's like right. Brown owned building, Chicago owned building, and like it'd be burned to the ground. And then, mob mentality. Yeah, and, and some people say those riots were started by agent provocateurs, and that could be very well be true. But once you get the crowd going, you have that mob mentality; it won't stop. So, I'm here. Thank you. Any, any other So before the winner is read off, so what we did, we got the 10 scores. For everybody, we took off the lowest and the highest, just so it's fair for everybody, because you know sometimes, you know, people just want to be a jerk and give like a 1.4, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> By the way, the only thing that can be booed in a um, slam is the score, not the artist. But if you know someone's giving a one, like, right? let them know. Don't come here with that mess, right? You know, so that's the only thing that can be booed. But we took off the highest and the lowest off every score, and then we added up the eight in between. Yes. 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 And, and now, then the three of us had a conversation. Yes. Yeah, we did. We had a conversation about um, the rankings and the rules, and uh, we did come to a, a conclusion. That, and it was an anonymous conclusion. Uh, it, it is the anonymous conclusion. That um, although we did have a points winner, we did have to deduct um, a, a several points because it, it did not fall into the category of housing discrimination. Well, actually, actually can I say, yeah. it was a disqualification. Disqualification. Because of the fact that it wasn't about um, fair housing at all, which sucks, but. Um, I mean, it was about social injustice. And it made us feel, and it made us tremble. And if I had an extra hundred dollars, damn it, here. Yeah. And like, don't like, like, connect with us because we we love poetry and we advocate for poetry, and we're always doing something with yes. poets. So please connect with us because we will have another contest. And this particular individual, I, I can say from Attack Bear Press, we're getting ready to start No No Project Volume Two, um, and I would like to issue a, a, an invite right here now to appear on No No Project Volume Two to yes. this and, and I would like to say that also this particular individual will be uh, featuring at two of my events. So, you know, I... <laughs> so, yes, all of the poets that perform tonight are invited to participate? Yes, yes. In yes. the normal all, project too, which all, is awesome because yes. I'm in it. And yeah. order recovery? Yes. yes. Okay, so, ready? Yes. yes. Okay. No, I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> so much tension, I need a margarita. <laughs> No. Okay. No, 
Okay, no, because we're going to make them. We are going to make them and they're going to be authentic. I'm going to get water because I'm going to become an alcoholic. We will make you a virgin one. All right. All right. Okay, cool. So, based on those rules that we have explained in a meeting between the three halls of the event, the winner of tonight's contest is. You got to read all the scores? I don't know where the scores are coming from. No, yes, no, we do. Because the reason why we have to. The reason. Time out, time out. Oh, time out, time out. Excuse me, time out. The reason why we have to win the scores is because it has to be publicly read. So, the more you say no, you're taking up more time and it can be read real quick. So, RP 65, Nicole 66, Jamila 50, Thaliani 68.5, Adam 55, Elizabeth 59, Michael 54, Alvio. Alvilda, Al yes. 64, Marty Claire, 69, Jesus, 71.5. But because of the disqualification, the winner is. Marty Claire, you don't come me. I used to work for Heifer International, and uh, it's not quite as marked here in, uh, in other countries, in Latin America and Asia as well, but there's always discrimination against different features. We always see, but we have the power. That's the thing, that's the key. Working together, we all have the power to change things. And there's something that I used to say to people that used to visit one of the learning centers at Heifer International, is that as American, as US citizens, we are the example for the rest of the world. The rest of the world is closely watching us. What do we do? How we do things? But we do have power to change things for the next generations. And here they are. They are here, we love them. We want the best for them and for us. So thank you very much for having me tonight. Oh, yes. Um, it, for, for those not aware of the inside joke, uh, Margarita Madness is an event that is apparently being put on by the Amherst uh, Area Chamber of Commerce. Ooh. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, can we just get a loud boo for the podcast? Sorry. <laughs> um, this this event it was brought uh, brought to our attention and the attention of several people in this room uh, by Neftali Duran that what they are doing to market this event and what they are doing to, uh, in creation of this event is is incredibly culturally inappropriate, culturally insensitive, and just plain racist. Um, this event apparently has been going on for about seven years um, and it is a huge money maker for the Amherst, uh, uh, Amherst Area Chamber of Commerce and it is directly on the back of the, uh, the cultures of brown 
at, at Latino, Chicanos, Mexicanos, like, and it's wrong, uh, just plain wrong. And we're asking the community. It makes it even worse. Yes. And Yes. Created a podcast. Yes. About this, where he explains in detail what exactly happened. Yes. So please uh, look for the podcast radioplasma.com. He's also on Facebook. Uh, the podcast is, and also Johan Rashivega and um, Neftali Duran. If that name rings the bell, he's the original agitator here that got us all going to talk about this issue that brought it to the attention. Okay. Um, but share Radio Plasma's podcast. It is eloquent and beautiful and says it says everything in a way that I never could. So give this man a big round of applause. And you know, you know what we can do? If all of y'all are on Facebook and you guys are following the post for this event, we can put up a link tonight at the end, yes. and yes. so that you guys can have access to it. So. Yes, yes, yes. And one final announcement. If you were inspired tonight, if you learned something new tonight that you didn't know, that you were not aware of about fair housing, I invite you to join me in the end to put an end to fight housing discrimination. Join me by becoming a tester. If you're interested in learning more about our testing program, that is run throughout different fair housing agencies in the state. I'm your girl, I work with all of them. I can connect you. So if you are in Western Massachusetts, I work there. If you are in Central, también I know people there. And if you are out in New Bedford area, I run a place there. So if you wanna learn more about testing, uh, which is undercover experience of housing, so that we can then uh, gather uh, data as to how people are being treated when they go look at apartments and when they try to buy a house. Please hit me up. Uh, you know, I'm everywhere, email, Facebook, on the event, send me a private message, talk to me before we leave. And thank you again to Fernandez Restaurant, who yes. provided such a big And make this room beautiful for y'all, and like I just love her so much. Thank you. And if you all, all want to get involved in more poetry events, please go to porticrecovery.net. We have um, an open mic in Springfield, open mic in Holyoke, East Hampton, and we're working on Northampton to create a circuit. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Woo!